Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Hello, welcome back. We're looking at uh, Lost in Transnation, a psychiatrist's guide out of the madness, and it is a powerful book. We are now in chapter three. I'm going to look at the previous uh, recordings to see the episodes, to see here the prologue, introduction, first and second chapters. We're talking about the history of this has been going on for a long time, and it's stuff that's really important for us to understand and know, and how it's infiltrated the medical field and all the medical um, influencers when it comes to even the DSM. Now we're going to enter into more story. So what else? This is different than those that um, really are in distress, gender identity disorder, or even gender dysphoria, but in the classic sense of um, distress, there's something else going on here. So we're going to look at that. This chapter is called Rosa. And so I'm going to read some pieces of it and kind of parts of it and talk through some of it. Um, but think about Rosa and, and this this timing. So you have two events that preceded Rosa's non-binary identity. Her mother told me about this. A boy she loved dumped her and the COVID lockdowns. So Rosa was a gifted 15-year-old um, from San Diego who'd uh, until recently been a compliant and easy child. She had always been anxious, uh, especially in social situations. Her mother saw her as a naive and easily manipulated. Uh, from high school's daunting social scene ahead of her, so, uh, Rosa's anxiety peaked the summer before ninth grade. But the first week of school, she met Sean in AP English and fell for him at once. They went out for um, a f all year, and, and she truly thought um, he was the one. Rosa wore a sexy gown to prom and thoroughly enjoyed the glitz and glamour. That summer, she and Sean spent um, their free time surfing. But on Thanksgiving, he suddenly broke up with her, and she cried for a month. With COVID lockdowns, Rosa was separated from her friends. She discovered a new group online, and during her every free moment, she was talking and texting and FaceTiming. That's when her transformation began. Rosa used to hang out in the kitchen in the camisole and shorts, cooking and eating and gabbing with her family. And according to her mom, she's always loved makeup and hair and manicures and, more recently, Victoria's Secret. She once bought a barely there bikini that her parents made her return. Um, there was never a hint of discomfort with being a girl. But over the months, as Rosa isolated in her room, joining the family only for dinner, her parents insisted, she turned into a different person. She wore an oversized hoodie and baggy sweatpants. She was irritable with withdrawn. She was stuck to her phone and iPad. And Rosa's sister, with whom she shared a room, reported she was sucking her thumb. Rosa stopped doing um, that when, when she was eight, her mom exclaimed. She couldn't believe it. She, Rosa began to talk about gender being fluid. And girls and guys are just two options, she told her parents. I don't fit into the, that strict binary. We didn't know what to make of that. And her mom told me um, that she started saying she wasn't a girl. When her father said that's ridiculous, she had a meltdown, accused him of being biased and didn't speak to him for three days. 
This was not the girl they'd raised for 15 years. It was someone else, someone they didn't recognize. Just so you know, her mom told me, my husband is the sweetest, most tolerant person you'll ever meet. He campaigned for gay marriage. His brother is gay, and we are very close to him and his husband. They took Rosa to see a therapist, but they felt slighted. The therapist met with Rosa alone first, spending more time with her than with them. She didn't seem interested in Rosa's history and put little value, and that's key right there, the history, and put little value on 15 years of history they had with their daughter. The therapy didn't help. We didn't know it at the time, but Rosa's mom told me, but a few of her new online friends were non-binary and trans boys. Back then, I didn't even know what those words meant. I'm a lot smarter now. One day, Rosa came home with a buzz cut, and her mom nearly fainted. I'm transgender and non-binary. My name is Glenn, she emailed her parents. I need hormones. Please make an appointment at a gender clinic. I had no idea what all that meant, her mother told me. But I saw my daughter's not herself. I felt like we were losing her, and we all needed help. I found a clinic in a major medical center two hours away. We truly believed they'd have the answers for us. We walked in with hope. But the first thing the clinic staff asked was, what pronouns do you use? This wasn't what her parents expected. We couldn't believe it, her mother told me. They weren't interested in all she'd gone through and the years of anxiety and the breakup and the lockdowns. I knew in my gut those things had really affected her. I knew she was still hurting from that. what happened with Sean. She was so confused and angry. Something didn't sit right with her. I'm a real estate broker, not a therapist, but anyone could see Rosa needed therapy. In under six months, she'd become unrecognizable, but the gender therapist kept calling us, telling, telling us Glenn was non-binary and we must support them. I'm telling you, they would have put her on hormones that same day. Rosa's mom and dad knew that something must have happened to their daughter and the solution couldn't be as simple as using new pronouns in a boy's name. At that moment, they faced a wrenching choice. Listen to the professionals or trust their guts. It was the scariest day of my life, her mother said. We got up and left. So that's the introduction of Rosa. Now look at what are we dealing with here? Different types of gender dysphoria. I'm going to kind of lay out. She does a good job of laying out the different types. A few years ago, the world's largest gender clinic, London's Tavistock Gender Identity Disorder Services, was overwhelmed. They saw only 18 patients in the five years between 2000 and 2005. In 2009 and 10, they saw, drum roll please, 77. 21 and 22, their number exploded to 3,585 patients, an increase of 4,555% in just over 10 years. But the true number is even higher because the waiting list in 2021 exceeded 5,300. Note the graph, there's a graph here on this page. In 2011, it's like there's this surge. If it were extended further to the left, either earlier time, we'd see a microscopic, it'd be too microscopic to read how few patients they had. Similarly, remarkable surges have been documented in Canada, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland. Cases in the US have exploded as well, but accurate documentation is challenging. Our healthcare system is decentralized and we lack Standardized national data collection tools enabling analysis of these trends at a state or local level. Yet we do know in 2021, 2-9% to of roughly 15 million U.S. high school students identified as transgender and 8% gender diverse, not male or female, as those terms have been um, always been understood. 
That same year, about 42,000 children and teens across the United States received a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, nearly triple the number in 2017, according to data Komodo compiled by Reuters. These numbers are likely undercounted because they only include treatment covered by insurance of pediatric patients with a GD gender dysphoria diagnosis. Other patients may have not uh, may not have a formal diagnosis or a cash pay who turn to private clinics or uncounted in, in insurance data with medical professionals deliberately miscode diagnosis. To put it differently, according to the DSM-5, prevalence rates of the approximately 1.73 million living in the Pittsburgh metropolitan area in 2010, there would have been well under 200 people with gender dysphoria. Ten years later, you could find over 300 among just the 3,168 students in 13 high schools in that city. A 2021 study reported almost 10% of Pittsburgh high school students self-described as gender diverse, about three in a class of 30. More and more adolescents and young adults in first world countries do not consider themselves male or female. Many are convinced they inhabit the wrong bodies and are disembodied from their physical realities. Aside from brief declines during COVID, cases of GD, gender dysphoria, swelled like a tidal wave. Rosa was drowning in it. She started believing she's a boy in 2020. If a graph like the above of, of GIDS existed measuring U.S. cases, Rosa would be one of the thousands in the surge to the right near what I can only hope is the high watermark. To speak of this matter with accuracy, we must make distinctions. So that's the, the critical piece here. The 18 patients at Tavistock in London from 2000 to 2005 are not the same as the hordes of adolescents in gender clinics today. If your child complains of gender distress now or in the future, you must know to which group he or she belongs. Gender dysphoria is a symptom, and symptoms can be caused by a variety of conditions. A fever, for example, can be caused by the flu, infection, heat exhaustion, cancer, and other ailments. Some fevers don't need much attention. They're resolved by themselves. Others require investigation and treatment. Fevers cannot be lumped together as one entity. Gender dysphoria is complex and not well understood, but we know there are multiple distinct types and pathways to it. There are variables such as age at onset, and there are influences like adoption, abuse, autism, and autism. Each group is different, and research and data pertaining to, to one group don't apply to another. Some want to make gender dysphoria an entity with one-size-fits-all treatment. This is a blunder. University of Toronto psychologist Ray Blanchard, a prominent researcher in the field for 40 years, warns, failure to make scientifically valid and functional distinctions among dif different types of gender dysphoric persons can only prevent progress toward finding the best approach to helping each. For the purposes of this discussion, I will distinguish between three types of gender dysphoria. The first is exemplified by Admiral Levine. I never met the Admiral, but in an interview with New York Times, Levine described becoming more introspective and exploring gender identity after marrying and having two children. This is typical of what's called adult onset gender dysphoria. Two other types of gender dysphoria are early onset in young children and late adolescent onset in teens and young adults. So there's the three types, adult onset, early onset in young adults, uh, or sorry, young children, and late or adolescent onset. So born in 2000, Jazz, originally Jared Jennings, is the poster child for childhood onset gender dysphoria. 
I never met Jazz, a public, public personality with a well-publicized biography, and important enough to be interviewed by on Barbara Walters in um, 2007. Jazz insisted he was a girl at age two, and despite his parents' efforts, could not be convinced otherwise. To the extent that he loved mermaids, unicorns, and princesses, Jazz consistently rejected all things masculine, not the least his anatomy. His convictions, feminine preferences, and behaviors persisted no matter what they tried. Jazz was diagnosed with gender identity disorder at age five. The year Jazz was diagnosed, only about 80 children were seen at the Seoul Clinic in the Western Hemisphere specializing in kids with GD, Toronto's gender identity service at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Children like Jazz were so rare, only three such clinics existed worldwide at the time. Jazz's reaction of his maleness began prior to socializing with similar children. He was only two. The children with GID were few and far between. What caused a toddler like Jazz to insist in 2005 that he's the opposite sex? We didn't know then, and we don't know now. Because kids with GID, gender identity disorder, were so rare, we have scant information on them, and the studies we do have are poor quality. But we know this. A vast majority were boys. Their dysphoria began before the age of seven, and it resolved in most cases before adulthood. The majority ended up gay or lesbian. The re resolution of gender dysphoria is called desistance. As the DSM-4 put it in 1994, only a very small number of children with gender identity disorder, as it was called then, will continue to have symptoms in later adolescence or adulthood. Eleven studies over four decades have shown a majority of patients become comfortable with their biological sex by puberty or young adulthood. James Cantor explains that large-scale follow-up studies indicate transgender kids such as Jazz generally turn out to be regular gay or lesbian folks. Despite large discrepancies in definitions and methodologies, the majority of research shows desistance rates above 70% and reaching 90% during puberty. Take note, parents. Here's the zinger. We have no way of knowing if a child's or adolescent's gender dysphoria will persist into adulthood. I'll have more on that later. So returning to the current epidemic is not due to a sudden increase of children and adults lining up at the doors of gender clinics. The lines aren't made up of individuals like Rose, Jazz and Rachel. They are nearly all teenagers like Rosa. Rosa is a minor with gender dysphoria, as Jazz was, but similarities in there. Rosa is an adolescent, not a toddler, insisting she's a boy precipitously following social stressors and internet immersion. The new identity was followed by a plunge in her mental health. She withdrew from her family and previous friends. Also unlike Jazz, Rosa grew up in a trans-celebrating environment. When she was three, a pregnant man gained fame appearing um, on Oprah. And when Jazz was seven, California passed SB 48, a bill mandating that transgenderism be taught beginning in kindergarten. Books in her school library, such as 10,000 Dresses, A Modern Fairy Tale by Becoming the Person You are, you Feel You Are Inside, introduced the idea of being born in the wrong body in a matter-of-fact way, and celebrated the, the coming out of children her age. In 2014, when Rosa was nine, Jazz was named a most influential teen by Time magazine. Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn when Rosa was 10, and the same year millions began to watch Jazz's reality show chronicling the road to genital surgery and beyond. How could Rosa have escaped being impacted by radical social change. In fact, several of her girlfriends believe they are boys, actual boys, who will become men. 
Their false beliefs are affirmed by everyone they know. They use the boys' bathrooms at school and dorm with boys on overnight trips. At least one of them, Rosa's parents later learned, was on testosterone and planning a double mastectomy. And don't forget, all those years Rosa was also absorbing the belief that anyone who questions the transgender narrative is a bad person, biased and hateful. If your preteen or teen announces a new identity, he or she is almost surely in Rosa's group, not Jazz's. If your child had early onset gender dysphoria, you would have known years ago. Like all parents I see, Rosa's parents were anguished, but also dumbfounded. We know there are transgender people and we support and reject, respect them, but what in the world happened to our daughter and how did it happen so fast? And Why, for God's sake, why did the gender clinic rush to validate and medicate her? I told them what I'm telling you. Your child is not another Jazz or Rachel. Like a few fever, the symptoms may be the same, but the causes are different. Your, your family is a casualty of a social epidemic, some would say a cult. This is a whole new ballgame. A curious doctor. In 2018, Brown University physician, researcher, and academic Lisa Littman noticed an unusual trend in her small Rhode Island town. As Dr. Littman explained, teens from the same friend group were announcing transgender identities on social media, one after the other, on a scale that greatly exceeded expected numbers. The onset gender identity disorder in teen girls was practically unheard of, but before 2012, there was next to no research about them. Given how uncommon adolescent gender dysphoria was, or once was, multiple transgender teens in the same friend group was bizarre. Even one instance would be statistically anomaly, more than one inconceivable. Dr. Littman decided to investigate. Online, she found parents describing the same phenomenon. Teens and young adults, children, young adult children, a majority girls without previous gender dysphoria came out in quick succession. Sometimes entire friend groups identified as transgender at the same time. These weren't Jazzes or Rachels, but something entirely new. Littman's town has had a growing crowd of Rosas, and it was far from the only one. Yet no one asked why a previously rare condition of primarily young boys was skyrocketing in teenage girls. Even worse, gender therapists were focusing on names and pronouns instead of on the real question, what is going on here? Dr. Littman sought answers to the real question. She conducted an online survey of 256 parents about their teen or young adults gender dysphoria that had happened out of the blue. In online forums, parents have been reporting that their children are experiencing gender dysphoria appearing for the first time during puberty or even after its completion. Dr. Littman wrote in her report labeling these kids as adolescent and young adult children as ayahs. A, yeah, adolescent and young adult children. Parents described clusters of gender dysphoria outbreaks occurring in pre-existing friend groups, coupled with immersion in, in social media such as binge-watching YouTube transition videos and excessive use of Tumblr. This type of gender dysphoria was novel, Littman wrote, inconsistent with existing research literature. To describe this new phenomenon, Dr. Littman coined the term rapid-onset gender dysphoria, or ROGUED. The, the development of a short period of gender dysphoria in an adolescent or young adult with no significant earlier history, her data gleaned from the parent survey were both intriguing and troubling. To begin, 83% of the kids were girls, and four in five had no evidence of gender dysphoria in childhood. This was a dramatic shift in demographics compared to the male-dominated early childhood dysphoria of Jazz Jennings. 
Prior to their gender distress, a large majority suffered psychologically. Nearly two-thirds had at least one mental health disorder or neurodevelopmental disability. Over two-thirds suffered from social anxiety and well over half had poor or extremely poor ability to handle negative emotions productively. For many, their lives were shaped by trauma. Half of the parents reported a traumatic or stressful event preceding the dysphoria, such as divorce, death of a parent, rape, a bad breakup, bullying, or psychiatric hospitalization. Dr. Littman posited that these kids may have rapidly adopted a transgender identity as a maladaptive coping mechanism to avoid feeling strong or negative emotions. Wow. The profile fit Rosa to a T. And like Rosa, many had suboptimal mental health evaluations by the clinicians they saw, despite a history of psychiatric problems. In 2012, the APA Task Force on the Treatment of Gender Identity Disorder advised that teens be screened carefully for trauma as well as for other psychiatric disorders that may produce gender confusion. But the screenings parents described by doc to Dr. Littman were anything but careful. Dr. Littman told an interviewer, the therapists really weren't interested in hearing that the kid had a mental health history or that the kid had experienced rape recently and that this gender dysphoria only came right after. The clinicians basically said, get on board with transition and otherwise you're transphobic. Elsewhere, Dr. Littman explained that providers were only interested in fast-tracking gender affirmation and transition and were resistant to even evaluating the child's pre-existing and current mental health issues. Over 70% of parents reported clinicians did not explore their child's mental health and nearly the same percentage failed to request previous medical records. One parent said, when we tried to give our son's trans doctor a medical history, she refused to accept it. She said the half-hour diagnosis in her office with him was sufficient as she considers herself an expert in the field. A new demographic of girls with mental health issues, a majority believing that medical transition will solve all their woes and clinicians who failed to properly assess them. Those findings alone were alarming. Even more explosive were Dr. Littman's data on cluster outbreaks of gender dysphoria and her hypothesis explaining them as social contagion. Social contagion is a swift spread of activities, behaviors, or even emotions through a, through a network. When your daughter will only wear Reeboks and your son demands a, a high-fade haircut, those are benign forms of social contagion. But eating disorders and self-injury can spread the same way. As Dr. Littman put it, an individual and peer can mutually influence each other in a way that promotes emotions and behaviors that can potentially undermine their own development or harm others. Teens, especially girls, are vulnerable. They copy their friends for better or worse. And Dr. Littman provided strong evidence that social contagion driven by peer group and online influence is a key determinant in the development of adolescent gender dysphoria. Over 86% of parents in her survey reported their child, like Rosa, being dysphoric after binging on social media, having one or multiple friends come out as trans in quick succession, or both. Based on earlier studies, only 0.7% of young adults identify as transgender. But in a third of the friend groups Littman's research, 50% or more of the members became transgender in a brief time. In other words, compared to the general population of young adults, these friend groups had 70 times more trans-identifying members than would be expected. Littman was careful to point out that it's unlikely that friends and the internet can 
make people transgender, but it's plausible that certain beliefs can be initiated, magnified, spread, and maintained. She specified the following beliefs. One, that nearly any symptom, including those that accompany normal puberty, is gender dysphoria and proof of gender of, of being transgender. Two, that medical transition is the sole solution and must be pursued urgently. And three, that anyone who does not accept the self-diagnosis or the plan to transition is transphobic, abusive, and should be cut out of one's life. Wow, that's scary. Regarding the first belief, Littman found the following advice on Tumblr, one of two sites, the, and the other being YouTube, that a majority of parents reported influenced their children. Signs of indirect gender dysphoria. Read, read one of one post on Tumblr. One, continual difficulty with simply getting through the day. Two, a sense of misalignment, disconnect, or estrangement from one's own emotions. Three, a feeling of just being through a through the motion, going through the motions in everyday life, as if you're always reading from a script. And four, a seeming pointlessness in your life and no sense of any real meaning or ultimate purpose. Five, knowing you're somehow different from everyone else and wishing you could be normal like them. Difficulty getting through the day? <laughs> we used to call that depression, being down or just having a bad day. Estrangement from your emotion? Emotions? We're supposed to believe it's odd that teenagers, or heck even adults, don't understand their emotions? Feeling like you're going through life reading from a script? No meaning or purpose? Different from everyone? Oh, come on. Not to minimize the unpleasantness, but these could be... These could all be normal teenage angst. Ty Turner is a woman living as a man with hundreds of thousands of followers. Turner's YouTube video, male to Female to Male Transition, One Year on Testosterone, has 4.1 million views. Turner instructs your child, if you're wondering if you're, you might be trans, you probably are. Oh, that's overwhelming. Just lie to the doctor. Believing that transition is the only solution and that time is of the essence, teens seek ways to get past parents and clinicians who don't share their sense of urgency. The blogs Dr. Littman discovered uh, proposed the simple strategy, lie. Find out what they want to hear if, they aren't, if they're going to give you tea, testosterone, and then tell them just that. It's about getting treatment, not about being true to those around you, one person wrote. Another quote, get a story ready in your head, like how you were feeling, but was too afraid to tell anyone. Another re poster recommended, look up the DSM for the diagnostic criteria for transgender and make sure your story fits it. One parent who responded to Litman's survey wrote, being trans is a gold star in the eyes of other teens, referring to the p positive attention and increased status after coming out. But there was a dark side to, to this, too which goes back to the third belief that Littman suggests can be spread by peers and the internet. The assumption that anyone that is critical about being transgender, even just asking questions, is either ignorant or filled with hate. Dr. Littman observed, once Aya kids came out as trans, they became increasingly sullen, withdrawn, and hostile toward their families. Nearly two-thirds of parents surveyed have been called transphobic or bigoted by their children for the smallest perceived transgressions like using sex-specific pronouns, calling a child by his or her birth name, or even for calling for more time to think about gender issues. They aren't mocked 
are, they aren't mocking cis people. They're playing pronoun police and mocking people who can't get the pronouns correct, one parent reported. I don't think for a moment that the parents were staunch members of the GOP. In fact, 86% favored extended marriage, including gay and lesbian couples, and nearly 9 in 10 believe that transgender individuals deserve the same rights and protections as other individuals in this country. But their own children call them bigoted and transphobic. Wow. This is unbelievable, isn't it? There's another story here of Helena Kirshner that took testosterone in her teens. And um, since Tumblr users are mostly biological females, the cishet white girl holds the position of the most privileged and therefore the most inherently bad group. In this climate, you are made to feel guilty and responsible for all the horrors and atrocities of the world. And so she, I would recommend looking her story up. This is a quote here. The beauty of the gender ideology is to provide a way to game the system so that you can get some of those targets off your back, being white. Um, it's as easy as putting she, they in your bio. Instantly you're transformed from an oppressed, entitled, evil, bigoted, selfish, disgusting, sichette, white scum into a valid trans person who deserves celebration. Is it any wonder that Rosa and her white, heterosexual, middle-class teenage friends transition within a short period? Yep. I had to say, we don't have any long-term studies of rogued ROGD kids. These don't exist. Dr. Kalitia, Finland's gender experts, the phenomenon of adolescent onset gender dysphoria is new and there is therefore no research or data on the permanence of experience. So proceed with caution. Dr. Littman acknowledged the limits of her research, relying on parental reports alone. She explained with this was incomplete and was some parents she surveyed were found on websites for those worried about their child's gender dysphoria. That might have introduced bias. Likewise, Dr. Littman made clear that the existence of rogued doesn't imply that uh, no ayahs could ultimately benefit from transition. She was describing a phenomenon, not offering a treatment plan. While recognizing the limits of her research, Dr. Littman nonetheless concluded that clinicians treating gender dysphoric kids suffer from hazardous blind spots. First and foremost, they must recognize adolescent onset gender dysphoria is not the same as early onset, and doctors should stop treating them as if they are or were. Again, Rosa's path to gender dysphoria was altogether different than Jazz's. Like patients with fevers, we can't lump them together just because they have the same symptoms. Dr. Littman warned it's unknown if gender dysphoria occurring in young adults is transient, temporary, or likely to be long-term. So clinicians need to slam on the brakes. Extreme caution should be applied before considering the use of treatments that have permanent effects, such as cross-sex hormones and surgery. She further called them out. The majority of clinicians described in this study did not explore trauma or mental health disorders as possible causes of gender dysphoria or request medical records in patients. Some clinicians refused to communicate with the parents about their own child, despite the fact that parental insights are a prerequisite for fully informed diagnosis. Dr. Littman called those problems alarming. They put Ayas at considerable risk, and I couldn't agree more. What parents described um, indicated a, a dereliction of duty. Dr. Littman confronted the gender establishment narrative and suggested that social and medical affirmation may cause an iatrogenic hard word, persistence of gender dysphoria in individuals 
who would have had their gender dysphoria resolve on its own. What's this iatrogenic word? It's a word um, that I want us to remember here that Dr. Gott Grossman says. It's when a medical intervention, including something a health professional says or implies, causes harm. So this is a harmful solution, if you want to call it that. To put it differently, Lippmann suggested affirmation may not help road kids embrace their authentic identity. It may entrench a false one. Those were the stakes facing Rosa's parents. They may have been unaware at the time, but if gender clinic, if the gender clinic put the, their daughter on hormones, Rosa could have locked in her gender dysphoria for good. Proponents of affirmation relentlessly promote transition of kids like Rosa because they believe, per the Articles of Faith, that her gender identity is innate, that everyone with gender dysphoria is transgender, and that there's only one path to relief. Lippmann's research blew a hole in their creed. Rogue sees gender dysphoria as a symptom, a coping mechanism, with various paths to and away from it. It is not always innate and unchangeable. This, the self-diagnosis of minors are not always accurate. Every instance, gender dysphoria does not require transition. The notion of rogued um, violated the medical establishment's creed that made Lisa Lippmann a heretic, a heretic deserving punishment. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.